welcome to this episode of Curating Crypto, where we focus on covering the art and culture scene surrounding the crypto space. And now, here's your host, Pavel Villalobos. Hello, everyone. This is Havo, your host of Curating Crypto. Today, I have the pleasure to have Sasha Bailey as a guest. Sasha is a British-born art curator and collaborator. He has worked with major artists in Japan and the UK and curated over 15 exhibitions. In 2018, he co-founded the Blockchain Art Exchange, which is a platform for artists premium certified digital art. Since we recorded this episode, they've gone through a complete site redesign, so I recommend you to go and take a look. Without further ado, let's welcome Sasha Bailey. Hey, Sasha. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, man, and happy to have you here. I know that we've been exchanging messages since the first season, and I'm glad that now you're on the podcast. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastic. So let's get started. Can you give us a brief introduction to who Sasha Bailey is? I know you have a multifaceted career, and I want our listeners to understand what led you to ultimately paying attention to blockchain, and more specifically, tokenized art. Um, yeah, so when I was kind of, when I was 16, I decided to leave school, um, and I always knew that I wanted to work in the arts, so I kind of got to working with artists in kind of a small way on the side, um, kind of immediately, uh, obviously, kind of small emerging artists, um, and then kind of as I, as I moved on, um, I guess... Uh, I did a lot of shows and I did, I kind of saw the art world as it was and I kind of got to see it from the inside and I was disappointed with the level of kind of openness and the level of, um, it's, it's a very difficult market to kind of make a statement in without going kind of crazy with it. And a lot of the time making the biggest statement doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make much money. Um, so I kind of, uh, I always liked it, but I, it's very clicky. There's kind of groups of artists that the reason that most people kind of end up making it in the art world is because they, um, they get inside the right circles. Like, uh, all of the artists, if you look at them kind of throughout history, they all operate within kind of a circle. Um, and I didn't like that. I liked the idea that the art world could be more decentralized and more open. And then in 2013, uh, I kind of discovered, uh, Bitcoin and, well, I was following it for a while. Uh, I think it was just after the Mt. Gox crash that I got into it. So kind of during that, just after that. So I've kind of been in it since then. And I've always thought about a way that you could use um, the, the ledger technology to uh, track the sale of like physical artwork. But as that kind of progressed, I found that, you know, connecting the, the physical to the digital is something that's really difficult. And thinking about what we could kind of do with blockchain and art, um, a digital project for it just kind of made the most sense out of everything. Um, until someone comes up with a much better way of attaching, you know, the digital to the physical, I think that there's a lot lacking in that. Excellent. And you've touched on a couple of important aspects here. First, after talking to a number of artists about the traditional art scene, they say you basically start working pro bono, sort of like paying your dues to make it as an artist and then hope that someone along the way will pick you up, help you build a bit of a reputation, and then uh, hope that your work starts to pay dividends. For some artists, this may take four to five years into your career, and you may be struggling to make ends meet if you're a full-time artist. Compared to what we're seeing now with the digital art platforms, your work can really speak for itself as it can instantaneously reach a broad audience in a matter of seconds. The second thing that you mentioned that I thought it was important there is the emergence of digital art and the internet. 
The issue that we have when we post something online is that instantaneously it gets replicated and stored. So it oftentimes not easy to identify the source and determine ownership. By tokenizing and attaching art to a ledger, you can prove provenance and ownership in a simple manner. While the image may still exist and get replicated across platforms, there is still one rightful owner to that specific piece. Yeah, definitely. And um, that's kind of, I mean, initially when I started thinking about the blockchain, the, the first people who I kind of thought about were um, video artists, who are people who I've worked with kind of a lot. And there's been, there's there's a lot more video artists in school than there are successful ones. And it's it's always been quite a difficult craft to get out there and kind of sell. Um, and I think the reason why is not because you can't sell it the first time, because a lot of people will buy it because they like it, they like you, they, you know, they're, they're into the art. But the problem is most of the time it's sold on a disc or a USB stick or something like that. And then reselling that and reselling digital art is, has always almost been impossible. Um, the primary market for digital arts always existed in, you know, some form, but, um, the secondary one, I think blockchain really makes that a kind of possibility. Whereas before there wasn't, there wasn't a chance of that even existing. Absolutely. And going back to when we're discussing that you've curated exhibits for a number of years now, what sort of lessons have you learned and how does this knowledge transition to what you're doing nowadays? Well, I think it's really interesting because the, the main thing I learned from working with artists and doing curation, working in kind of the art sphere and working at like the major galleries is that the most important thing in the business is, is actually the artists. Um, you know, you can build an amazing platform, you can have everything, um, you can have all the best uh, kind of technology, all of that. But if you don't have the right content and you don't have a good relationship with the artists that you work with, the whole thing will slowly fall apart. The the best thing that I think that, you know, we can do in the crypto space is to focus on those individuals and their stories and why they're important. We're, the platforms that we're creating are just kind of a medium for those artists to express themselves in. Um, I think it's it, the, the platform should never kind of take the center stage or they should avoid trying to as much as they can. So is the curation process equally as important as it is to enable the listing and distribution of digital art? Um, yeah, so I, I call myself an art curator, but I think art curator is quite a, um, an odd uh, label as a job because it, it's quite, um, it's, it's a bizarre thing. What, what does it actually mean? I mean, for me, it meant, you know, putting on the shows, doing practically everything myself, hiring all the staff, managing the event, um, hanging the work a lot of the time by hand as well. But it's just to other people it's simply just kind of arranging it so i think it's it's an interesting thing to look at but within the crypto space what i what i try to do with the artists who i pick is um because we obviously we take submissions but we also reach out to some to quite a lot of artists i try and find people who show promise maybe not in like the traditional way but someone who shows promise in an artistic field um who maybe in the future is going to go on to be someone quite important. And I want to capture those sort of people at the start of their artistic career. So like, for example, we work with one artist, um, Zyrelin, who she's, I actually uh, contacted you about her. I want that. I, I thought it'd be great if she could come on the podcast, but she works obviously in concept art, which is more kind of video game centric. But my thinking is someone like that who's incredibly talented, they're young at the moment, they're going to get employed by a big game company at some point, they're going to work on something huge. And the world that we live in now, I think that there'll be a lot of people who grow up and they want to own something from that artist that they created maybe right at the beginning, or they create in private sales while they work on some of the larger uh, video games, concept art for movies, whatever it might be. I think there's going to be a renaissance in kind of that 
section of art moving into the more fine art, more collectible, more investment space, um, simply because of the people who will grow up and be interested in that. Perfect. And I did check on Sarah by the way, I think she's doing fantastic work and I'd love to have her on the podcast at some point. But you touched on a good point, by the way, as a result of the podcast, I did get to talk to a few of the vendors and platform owners in the digital art space. And a lot of it's about the differentiation of their service versus others. And if you're more focused on the showcasing of the artists themselves versus the platform, I think that's a smart move that's going to pay dividends in the end. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's really what that matters the most because it's, um, it's also a byproduct of the way that we, we intended the BAE to work in the first place. Like we always wanted to have two kind of sections. One of the sections being kind of our personal collection that we work with and we curate. And then obviously having the platform open to whoever wants to upload as well. Um, was always kind of a plan to, so we can have a group of artists who we push, who we believe in, and also in art in general, the, the role of, I, I don't like this label, but an art dealer, for instance, is to tell people who is valuable, why in the future they think it will be valuable with their expertise. They're, you know, they're like a, a sales consultant of sorts. Um, so I think having an aspect of that while also decentralizing the market and making sure artists have full control is, is still important because someone needs to provide some sort of direction and this this why this artist might be big because people don't have the time to do all of that research on their own so i think that that's still an important aspect in in the market even though we're moving towards complete decentralization i talk to some of the larger art investors on a regular basis and often the question is around a specific set of artists to see if they're worth investing in and this happens on a nascent market where you have a mix of devotee artists graphic designers and artists that have a more traditional art education background that understand what makes an artwork stand through time. And I agree with you that decentralization will make it appealing to everyone to list and purchase art. And it will be a nice mixture of traditional artists and also those breakthrough artists that will stand out based on pure vision and stylistic approach as a result of participating on a more level playing field. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting as well, because the, the direction of the market, it's, it's, unexpected but i think it's it's a really positive thing is that the, the artists that are selling aren't necessarily the most experienced in the fine art industry they're not necessarily you know the most um uh traditional artists but they're what people like and that's really cool to see that there's a marketplace where people can kind of you know they're choosing what they like and then that becomes the good art which is how most other industries work um you know traditionally in 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 art you're kind of I went back to the other point, but you're told what to buy kind of in totality at the moment. Every single gallery, you know, everything has a filter in between it. This crypto allows everyone to see everyone's art and decide who they want to invest in, but on themselves based, as you said, kind of on the merit. Excellent. So now let's talk about the platform that you're leading. It's emergence in 2018 and what it solves in the space of the non-fungible digital art platforms. Yes. Yeah, so um, we came out in 2018, late 2018. We were in research for a really long time. Um, we had kind of, uh, we actually got VC funding really early on, um, but sometimes that isn't necessarily the best thing that can happen to a project because you suddenly have quite a lot of people uh, who have their own ideas about what to do and kind of steer it one way or another. So development was definitely slowed down by having a lot of chefs in the kitchen. Um, but then we, um, we, we got out, we finished our smart contract around the end of that year. And then we decided that we were kind of going to explore the space and look at kind of the third party applications. Cause there were so many of them that have come out like OpenSea. We, we saw it initially, but it, it had grown into something really big by the time we launched. And we thought that these platforms offered kind of a way to 
integrate in a really decentralized way with the entire um you know ecosystem i mean we are still creating our own exchange um but we want to make sure that it, it's really good and it fulfills everything that we want it to do because we've got all these functions in our smart contract uh, that, that are finished that we just need to slowly unlock. And we're going to be releasing a proper roadmap um, to kind of show when we're going to be unlocking those features. So we've got we've got things like we have our own ERC-20 token, um, which is the way that we handle um, artist royalties. So instead of doing it so every single artist gets paid directly for their own work, Every artwork that you sell on the platform, you receive a small amount of these uh, ERC20 tokens, and then that's a marker to how much of a share of the resales of all of the artworks on the platform you get. So if you sell more, you'll get more, then if you sell less, you'll get less. But you'll still be rewarded even when like a really high-priced artist sells, as long as you've participated in some sort of way in the selling. That's a super interesting reward system. Now let's talk about one of the unique features you have on the blockchain art exchange. One of the things I found really useful is the grading system you've implemented. And from what I've seen, some people misunderstand what the grading is about. It's not related to the quality of the artwork itself, but the quality of the image. Can you give us a bit of detail on this? Yeah, so actually this is, um, it's, it's really cool because it came from such a strange place. One of our um, consultants in Singapore, he used to work on solar panels and he did like factory checking and he had this idea. I mean, it, he just said to us, you know what you should do? You should do like a standardized test like we did for solar panels, but for our work. I mean, I guess you could apply the same thing for diamonds or whatever, but it came, came from that place. And so we looked into this idea of how you could actually grade stuff on the objective metrics. And the main reason that we, we started doing it wasn't actually for digital art. It was because we wanted to make sure that um, traditional artists could participate in this new space. So a few of the issues that you find is obviously, how do you know that the artwork that you've captured or scanned is of high quality? How do you know it's the correct color? Um, and all of those sort of things. So like, um, we take into account, I, I don't want to get too boring, but we, we take into account the size of the initial artwork in real life and then the DPI density related to that size. Um, the file type you decided to save it in, because that makes a huge difference for long-term archiving. And then um, the color metrics, which is actually one of the more complicated parts of it, where um, essentially, if someone sends you an artwork from around the world, how, how do you know that it's the correct color? So we came up with a solution where basically you use a photography gray card um, in the corner of the picture, because they're always the same color. It's a universal, a universal kind of gray. Um, and then that allows us to know that you've captured the thing correctly. Um, but the, the grading system also goes into digital art. It's less harsh for digital art, obviously, and it, there's because there's less metrics to get behind. Um, and then f for GIFs, uh, the reason GIFs are all graded B is I didn't really think it was fair to apply that sort of a grading to GIFs because it's such a new art form. I'm not really sure what constitutes high quality, low quality. You know, it's 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 a bit different to the rest of the uh, to the rest of the digital items. Absolutely. And for those people looking into uploading their work in your platform, what sort of format should they be looking into? So we would like it in um, TIFFs or bitmaps. We don't deal with vector images yet, simply because we didn't put together a um, grading system for that. But we, uh, but TIFFs, bitmaps are great. If you provide to me, for instance, um, some artists who, who uh, paint digitally have kind of provided ones where the layers are all intact, um, everything's, you know, you've got absolutely everything in there. That will get you an extra grade just simply because you're providing someone with more and more, um, you know, uh, uh, content, essentially. But, um, yeah, the, the best grades are bitmaps or TIFFs that we take. 
Excellent. That's great information. And in terms of the artists selling your platform, do you have any success stories you would like to share? Yeah, so actually, um, you had the artist on Tom Tom Badley. He is, he's been like our major success story, to be honest. Um, the whole process was really eye-opening because it was amazing. Um, from, from the start, what kind of happened is, you know, he was coming up with these ideas for banknotes and wants to create them physically eventually. And normally an artist would have to do create the actual artwork physically, take all of that risk financially, um, and not know whether their product was actually viable or not. Whereas with what we're doing, Tom was able to create a valuable um, asset during the process, which, you know, there's a lot of work goes into just the digital creation part, and then use some of that funding to create the actual artwork in the end, which is something that, you know, it, it not only allows artists to test the market if they ever want to create a new uh, series, but it, it creates a new monetization aspect for artists and they desperately need as much of it as they can because it's uh it's an incredibly difficult you know uh industry to make money in tom is fantastic i discovered him when he had 50 or so followers on twitter and i talked to him on a regular basis because he's a bit of a night owl anyway so he sort of works in u.s time but just being part of the process and understanding what needs to happen to create the plates the chemical process and the lengths he goes through to make these notes as legitimate as possible that people may not be aware of. And he's also a very talented, multifaceted artist. He's a painter, a sculptor. He's a real deal, man. I think he's one of those success stories, not only in blockchain art exchange, but in crypto art in general, that people will be looking back into. No, definitely. And I, I think Tom's work is, I've never seen, you know, I, I've been working in the art world for about 10 years, the fine art world, and I've never seen anything like it in, you know, that people do stuff of money, but generally it's $1 bills and it's got Mickey Mouse on top of it or something. And there's, you know, there's a dime a dozen of artists who do that. Um, but Tom's is, you know, it, it it's genuine. It's, it fee- there's huge amounts of craftsmanship behind it. I mean, it's really funny whenever I show his work to kind of gallerists and things like that, the first question they ask is, is he Italian? Because they just <laughs> assume that the level of detail <laughs> is, uh, is unheard of for an English, English artist. That's funny. So using Tom as an example, he's obviously a very talented digital artist, but he's also producing physical pieces. So are you planning or have you done any combination of physical and digital exhibits? Well, so um, for the last two years, I've been kind of you know uh, locked up building building the platform and getting it ready. But now I feel like we're, we're ready. I'm ready to get back to doing what I do best, which is holding events and doing kind of that's that's what I've been doing in art for the last last ten years. So I want to start bringing crypto into the mainstream, into fine art, and kind of showing what we've got because what what's going on here is really interesting. It's it's new, it's fresh. There there isn't anything in the fine art industry that comes even close to the kind of powerhouse that we have in crypto of of creativity i mean it's 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 uh, an artistic movement as well as is well overdue i mean they happen roughly every 35 years or so the last one was the yba kind of 1990 i mean other than you know banksy but it you know, kind of a part of that too but um it's so i think that crypto art genuinely is going to be the next movement in art and we're just seeing the beginnings of it we're right at the start but it's gonna go mainstream sooner or later i'm seeing this on my end like i've said before i get to talk to what you would consider wells in the game there's this phrase you have to follow the money and we're seeing the money come in because every week there's a collective all-time high in terms of digital art sales and this barrier of intangible art is slowly breaking apart are you experiencing something within the same lines yeah, 100%. And, and that's actually interesting that you talked about um, investment kind of quality work, because uh, we 
one of the artworks that we had on the platform since the beginning. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of the projects came in um, to this thinking that it was going to be like a craze and, you know, everything was going to go kind of crazy initially. Um, and then we all hit a bear market and had a real kind of reality check and went, okay, we've got to build something really meaningful here. Um, but it was interesting because we, we came in with a, with an artist uh, who's, who's actually my father, um, David Bailey, and we've got one of his uh, artworks of John and Paul um, tokenized. And that's, the you know, I think probably the most major artist outside of crypto to tokenize an artwork. And it's just interesting because you don't, and, and like I said at the beginning, it's kind of inspiring because you get much more attention for the newer artists, the ones who are doing something in this space, than you would for the ones who you, you traditionally put the value on. And I think that's quite, that's, that's cool. Totally. I've told you in a private conversation that I went to Southern California for the holiday break. And I was talking to a person that's familiar with the podcast, but not as well versed in terms of crypto and tokenized art. And he asked me if I could show him an example of a tokenized art piece. Interestingly enough, I showed him that specific picture from Bailey. And of course, he had seen the picture. And I told him he could now own the picture. And this got us into this very interesting conversation about provenance and ownership. I think photography in general is ready to be disrupted. On one side, you have the non-commercial versus commercial stock and non-stock photography, either labeled for reuse, reusable modification, reuse of non-commercial. It's very confusing. If you go to the agency side, um, it matters if it's editorial, if it's a single use, if it's part of your branding, such as your website, pamphlet, you name it. So you can get in trouble really quickly if you don't read the fine print on the licensing agreement. And I can definitely see series and levels of a single image being tokenized at different grades and capacities and the photographer or the agency being able to track and prove who acquired specific rights automatically. Yeah, I, I, and I, I think it's interesting as well because artists like uh, like like that, like um, or like Damien Hurst, for example, they have so much stuff on just Google Images that people could go and get. And people, you know, when I've spoken to them, they they don't quite understand the concept of why people would want to pay for it because it's tokenized and. I think, like you said, it's it's slowly eroding away and people are finally getting the concept of, you know, the only reason you know a physical work of art is real is because it comes with a certificate of authenticity. A token for a digital artwork is exactly the same thing. You know, you can you can take a picture of the Mona Lisa or you can repaint it, but it doesn't make it the Mona Lisa. Um, the same way you can copy and paste a file on the internet and it's a new file, but it doesn't make it that piece of crypto art. Sasha, what can you tell me about Bernard Marx? Yeah, so um, this is kind of an interesting project that initially I came up with, which is the idea that, especially in the online space, it's really hard for people to share their opinions and be completely honest because there's a lot of repercussions that come back on people. And now, whether those, whatever side of the fence those politics are on, it's it's unfortunate that people are finding it hard to do that. So I wanted to set up an artist who doesn't exist, um, who is a group of people. And obviously not mention who those people are, but the idea is that it's anyone who wants to submit an artwork, obviously the, the funds still go where they're supposed to go, because I knew who the people are. I mean, you could do it completely anonymously if you want to. Um, but anyone who submits a work, it can be about anything, it can be as political as you want, and it can be about something that you want to say that you might not be able to say because of your social position or your job or whatever. So we've got free artists who submit um, and write things for it already. And it's, it's quite a fun array of work. Like, um, you know, we've got stuff that's kind of, you know, pro free speech. We've got some anti Trump stuff. We've got some pro Trump stuff. It's interesting to have this kind of personality of someone, you know, who could be potentially some, cause some outrage, but who everyone knows doesn't actually exist and is a group of people who no one knows who they are. Very interesting. So if you compare this to a Banksy, for example, where the rumor is it's one person leading a group of people that are 
adhering to a very specific style and are guided towards a specific message. In this case, you're not curating or you're not um, really trying to find cohesiveness. It's just an outlet for somebody to express what they feel anonymously. If it's really crass and kind of, you know, just bad, then no, I'll say no. But it's kind of, you know, this is something that to an extent I'm curating, but I don't want to put any biases into it. So as long as it looks good on the surface, I don't worry about what the the message is as long as it's you know not no, there's there's some things which are too extreme obviously okay got it so nothing in terms of trying to make it look like it's one specific person no 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 it's it's the idea is that it's 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 supposed to be so kind of it decentralized and confusing that it would be almost impossible to exactly decide who's who and what's what very cool so what do you see in the next few years in terms of non-fungible digital art I think that it, um, I think it's really impressive. I mean, you look at a lot of the projects, uh, and you see that, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, um, a lot of the NFTs where they blow up and then they kind of go down and they have a similar sort of, uh, chart. So maybe an ICO, but they, with all the crypto art projects, I've noticed that we're on like a kind of 10% increase slowly, which is a lot better as a kind of traditional business sense than, um, than blowing up and going down. So I actually think that digital art will become, and crypto art will become the most valuable thing in the NFT space because intrinsically it is the most valuable thing in the real world. It has, you know, a tangible value attached to the real world. Whereas a, um, a crypto kitty, for example, only has a tangible value attached to the fact that you can play the game and you can trade other crypto kitties with people. Each artwork has its own value based on the artist who created it. Absolutely. Do you think there's going to be companies offering custodial services for digital art in the future? We're seeing artwork now selling in the thousands of dollars where people will start thinking it's a bit of a risk to store it in a browser wallet or in a physical wallet. Do you see this type of service being offered at some point? I think there'll be art heists. I think weirdly, um, we've created a place where there might be property heists, where people literally steal, you know, your, uh, your, your crypto voxel or your Decentraland um, piece. I think that we're going to see really odd futuristic versions of identity theft kind of happen um with especially because crypto you know we're starting to lie more and more on the addresses where you know someone gets your address it's going to slowly become like your online kind of social security number in a strange sort of way they'll have access to all the aspects of this intangible realm um I think we'll see it more and more. I think a custodial service I I, I mean what do you what do you exactly uh, mean by that like a, a safe wallet or Yes, so I'm referring to the pieces that are sold for the thousands of dollars, right? Do they do they require a different handling than something that costs an ETH or two ETH? Or is it basically the same, right? So same as with the crypto holdings. So you have some in hand, you may have some in cold storage, and for the people that have a larger amount of, of crypto, they may also have some geographically distributed. Oh, right, yeah. Definitely. I think people are going to start cold storing it, cold storing it soon. I think it's going to be a really interesting... Um, it's going to be very confusing for authorities because if they're confused now by people, you know, crossing the border with Bitcoin, I don't know what they're going to do when people are going to cross the border with millions of pounds of intangible art. It's um, it's it's a confusing. Uh, it's going to be a very confusing time for for a lot of people. But I think NFTs are a while off from kind of hitting any of those issues. Uh, you know, we've just started out. It took what Bitcoin almost eight years before people started actually, you know, the authorities started actually looking at it and taking it seriously. I think we're in a, a bit of a Wild West space when it comes to all of that at the moment. Intellectually also. Uh, I remember we recently had an issue with one of the collectors that he was going in and buying 
In the same way that you and I can go in and buy digital art from one of the platforms, he was then creating editions of the artwork and then selling it for profit, right? So the conversation here was, is he at fault by doing this? And ultimately, is he affecting the creator in this case? And my take is that he is, but it's it's a good debate to have. I would completely agree with you on that. I, I, I think that it's not right. It's the same thing as, as if you painted someone's artwork, but the, the difficulty there is... Um, if you know you you can sell fake uh, Picasso reproductions, you just have to say that they're you know reproductions, or you can sell artwork reproductions. I mean, I think it gets a little bit more complicated when the artist is still alive. But I do think that the um, I do think that that's there's there's a danger in people being able to tokenize too easily and people not understanding how you know basic IP law works because we we did a lot of looking into this and and how it works at the beginning, but it's it's it, basically, if you don't own the artwork, like you didn't create it, you can't then reproduce it. And the easiest way of kind of pointing it out without cheapening anything is is saying it's kind of like a DVD. You know, you, you have the right to display it in your own home. Um, you have the right to do whatever you want inside your own home, but you can't then take that DVD out and show it in a public space, theoretically. So based on this conversation, Sasha, one of the regular questions that I get from traditional investors is, can I now go ahead and display it on my TV? Can I display it at home? Just interested if you guys are exploring this space in, in any way. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure if I say, say this because we haven't launched it yet and it's never good to talk about features before they launch, but in, in our smart contract and something we did from the beginning, we have a function, um, and you can set this now if you you know do it through the submission, where you can set a number of prints that are allowed to be created from an artwork, and that number can never go up, it can only ever be decreased. So the concept was, and, and still is, if you sell an artwork with 100 prints, someone buys it, they print off one of them, the print count goes down, and then that artwork might be worth slightly less to the next person. And the idea was you can do whatever you want with those prints, you can even sell them. Um, and then there was another facet of this being a way of artists who create editions to track their editions on the blockchain. The the issue that we're having on the front end of that, and actually, you know, a shout out if anyone can come up with a fix for this, we've got a few ideas, but is how you make a print file related to that edition that was printed off but we've we've always wanted it to be possible for people to buy this art and print it off in their own home simply it's just that's a lot of infrastructure to kind of think about building and there's some kind of problems that need to be solved before we could we could actually launch that and what sort of issues have you guys run into that you might not have expected i know in the past in the podcast we've talked about artists submitting one piece to more than one platform uh, what other issues have you seen or experienced? Well, that that that, that first one actually, um, I was going to touch on that because that's that shows how great our actual community is because um, all of the major platforms are on Twitter. If that happens, we're all really quite good at communicating with each other. Just like, all right, you guys had it first. We'll make sure we remove it from ours. Um, remind the artist that you know not to do it again. And it's it's really nice that we have that sort of community where everyone's looking out for the interests of the whole because if we don't you know if if we start doing stuff like that it's going to end up cheapening everyone's stuff i mean other issues that we've encountered is obviously we're working with OpenSea, so it's quite difficult to view our artwork um but i think think overall that the community is is really great i mean i think um a lot of people have kind of coined it what is it um cooperation or something um and it's it is very much that sort of community is because you know we've got we've got a big enough um thing to be taking on which is the existing art establishment and the way that they think about art without fighting amongst ourselves 
So Sasha, can you walk us through what you guys are working on at Blockchain Art Exchange? I know that we talked about the platform redesign, but aside from that, what you guys are doing? Maybe you can talk about potentially the onboarding of traditional artists. What can you tell us about this? One of the main things that we're working on is we're always looking for kind of who's going to be the next big artist, going out there to obviously all the art events in England, all of the student shows, looking out on Instagram, taking a really kind of active approach in finding these people and onboarding them to our exchanges, which I think, I think a lot of other exchanges are quite passive. Um, and our goal really is to try and bring in this big market. I mean, it, the idea with, uh, with bringing in Bailey was, you know, if we can get him on, we can get him sold. We can then go to other big artists who we know and say, hey, listen, Bailey sold on here. You can kind of come on. This is a really kind of legitimate place to be because even though you're seeing high level sales, fine artists and the art market is incredibly slow to move and they're not overly you know they're not they're not good at changing their business model very much um so my goal is to kind of really show at the moment what this space can do and why the art world kind of needs to start getting involved and why these artists needs to get uh, start getting involved um the other thing we're working on is obviously building our exchange that's something we've been working on for a while but we really do like i said we want it to be really kind of um the best thing it possibly can be so um we're putting a lot of time into that um, and then, and then kind of researching other ways of doing licensing. So our contract was initially built. It, it can support as most contracts can. It could theoretically support the transfer of physical art, but we want to invent, um, a new contract which deals with licensing and we want to do it in a way which hasn't been tackled before, um, by making something that's kind of a simple plugin. Uh, it potentially won't be ETH based, but that's kind of the next stage that we're working on after after our um, main exchanges up is is moving into the licensing section and monetize helping monetize that too. That sounds very interesting, man. So Sasha, I'm interested in your opinion in terms of those artists that are producing multiple pieces per day on multiple platforms, essentially inundating the market. I want to hear your take on this. Yeah, so I, I think there is a problem with people um, using uh, like generative code bases or you know some sort of generative thing to create art incredibly quickly creating gifs and then using the stills of those gifs as different artworks i also think is really cheeky um because you know you're producing about 16 artworks plus a gif and it's i feel like people need to be make sure they don't oversaturate the market and it's great to have a ton of content um but quality definitely trumps quantity. But at the same time, I do think we live in a very fast world. And I think that people's attention spans are very, very, very slim. So I think that artists, especially in crypto, should be producing, you know, at least one to two works a week. But I think when they're, you know, they're putting 30 out at a time, it, it's definitely true. It's it, You don't want this to become a kind of printing press um, sort of situation. We want it to be quality. Um, but I, at the same time, I do think we need to have content produced regularly and, and people will only stay interested in you as an artist if you produce regular content. Because uh, unfortunately, that is, you know, people's attention spans getting shorter. Social media, you know, is to be noticed. You've got to have consistent content but the other thing though i've noticed is is there are a few artists who who do that who who do it to our exchange but you can really see the improvement it, even though they're just pumping them out it, if they get better but the problem is you end up with about 50 of their kind of off cuts until they get to the best thing so i think maybe i'd suggest to artists rather than tokenizing literally everything after you've got a big group of artwork together 
definitely create it quickly like you still are, but maybe narrow it down by, you know, 50, 75% what you're actually going to end up submitting. Maybe doing the healthy thing of burning some of the old works that didn't come out as great. Exactly. Or maybe, or maybe give them away to some of your uh, bigger collectors. Like maybe, you know, as a, as a kind of, you know, historic thing. I mean, people think, I think people are kind of thinking the concept of, you know, uh, Picasso, say Picasso, I always use him as an example, but his sketchbooks are, um, valuable. So they're thinking, all oh, right, my sketches, my digital art trials will be valuable when I'm a big artist. And that's true, but it's not worth oversaturating yourself on the way. Like, um, you can only really oversaturate yourself like that when you get to, say, Damien Hirst's level, where it's complete saturation, but somehow he still retains a value. So, Sasha, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, when I started this podcast, I did it because I was friends with some of the artists already, and some of the conversations that were happening offline were good material for us to talk with a greater audience, so that's how the podcast started. But one of the things that we noticed very early on is that a lot of the talent is uk based and us based and from the listener side it, it is about 60 to 70 percent of the volume why do you think this is i'm not i'm, I'm not 100 sure so um we reached out to obviously uh i bring her up again Z- zarlin is from spain and we, we noticed once we reached out to one artist from spain or one artist from a location a few more kind of popped in so there's like a few from brazil because we reached out to a brazilian so i i don't know if that's a kind of products of the way you know uh, analytics on google and social media works that it just happens to be because crypto the the term crypto art um on google trends is only looked up by americans but the term blockchain art is looked up by americans and english people and then if you expand it to say bitcoin art that's looked up by a load of people like germany everywhere um so i think maybe it's just that people haven't got the specific lingo for it or maybe it's a translation issue or i know it's it's, it's interesting that it is only kind of england and america i i don't know if it's just because crypto is really big in both of these places but it is funny that you don't see more in i think there's some in japan but definitely not maybe for crypto art um and then there's some you know it, you're right it is odd it's i i don't have an answer but it is on on our analytics it shows the exact same thing it's barely anyone from anywhere else unless we've pulled an artist from that area so sasha i'm interested in your take on crypto voxels well i i when i first uh, saw crypto voxels i thought it was one of the best um ideas simply because of how easy it is to pop in and out of and often you'll notice you know um the most convenient thing wins out in the end and it was just kind of creating parcels on it and looking around. I mean, we, we have one. Um, and it just, it feels like a 3D social media, which is really cool. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a way we haven't experienced interacting with each other before is this idea that you could have almost a website that you can move around in three dimensions. It has all the links and cause, you know, it's, it's all browser based. It makes it really, really easy to jump in and out of. And I think that, you know, as a selling point, it's it's funny because you have people who clearly haven't bought much digital art before, but they've gone and bought crypto voxels, and then they've gone and explored the kind of area around it, and they buy artwork for their voxel. And it's, I mean, I've tried to explain that to people who aren't in blockchain, and the idea is just so bizarre that you've got a digital gallery where people are walking around digitally and buying digital art to take back to their digital space. Like, it's... um it's 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 a really weird kind of new thing that's that's happened. That's very interesting. So in your platform are you able to track 
businesses that come from crypto voxel galleries for purchases that come directly through there? Yeah, so uh, how we do it is you can kind of just tell by how many crypto voxels that person owns in their um, their kind of public wallet, because obviously on OpenSea you see that immediately. Um, but that kind of gives you an idea. But um, a lot of people visit uh, our crypto voxels, so um, through our website it's kind of become one of the major places that people click through to and kind of experience the platform that way, because it's it's actually a remarkably good way to view the art because you can have it at any size and you can move around and actually experience it within a space. And I think that as crypto voxels progresses, it's going to become a really powerful tool. Um, and a lot of artists have been using it this way already is to have virtual shows at the same time as having a physical show and coinciding it. And you can even make the, you know, the digital show the same shape as the gallery in real life. And I think that's a really cool new aspect that you know artwork hasn't had before so where can people find you how can they get in touch and how can they learn about how to get started as either an artist that's listing their art in your platform or a collector so um we have a few different platforms we're on uh youtube twitter um and instagram as uh, blockchain rex and then obviously we have our website that's um, blockchainrexchange.com and if you want to contact me directly, it's um, Sasha, which is S-A-S-C-H-A at blockchainartexchange.com. Sasha, I'm actually very happy that we finally had this conversation. Thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to the next conversation. You're in a very interesting space and in a position where you can attract a lot of really good talent to move into crypto art and keep pushing for adoption, man. No, oh, no, thank you so much for having me. Um, it was great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. For listening to this episode of Curating Crypto. If you liked this episode, please help us by sharing, rating, and subscribing. You can also stay in touch by following us on Twitter at Curating Crypto, where we will be sharing additional information and links related to the topics we've covered in these sessions. 